Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we have Ole Miss legend Charles Stackhouse on the show. We talked a lot about his Ole Miss career, the art of playing fullback. Making the active 53-man roster with the New York Giants as an undrafted free agent. Life after football and what it's like coming back to games as an alum. Awesome guy. Super sharp dude. We talked a little bit of crypto, too. uh, So stay tuned for that. But I really appreciate his time. I think you'll really enjoy his story. But before we get to that, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located off Old Taylor Road, just a less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It sleeps eight comfortably. It is gated. It has amenities such as a tennis courts, sauna. It's a great place to be. It can be hard to find a place to stay in Oxford, particularly on big weekends. Maybe you're just coming through for a business trip. Hey, maybe you're coming up for a midweek basketball game. Got the basketball season tickets coming up. There's all kinds of availability, including Vanderbilt weekend for football check them out rent the sip oxford.com bracken ray friend of the pod would not steer you the wrong way it is a prime location less than a mile from campus straight shot to swayze field almost a straight shot to vaude hemingway stadium and of course an easy walk to the pavilion as well you need to check it out today go to rent the sip oxford.com to check availabilities if you use the promo code rippy rights r-i-p-p-e-e rights r-i-t-e-s that'll get you 100 bucks off any two-night minimum stay please check this out don't miss out on the opportunity you always hear about it's hard to find a place in Oxford. I'm giving you one in a prom location at a terrific price. Check them out. RentTheSipOxford.com. Podcast is also brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is an award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and South Alabama regions. Seaspire is proud to announce the release of their new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, for one month of free service. That's right. You're going to get the best internet on the market. I use it. Can't be having bad internet doing the podcast and all the other stuff we got going on here. It's the best in the market. And just for listening to this podcast and using the promo code RIPPY, you're going to get a month of free service. Take advantage of that today. Cspire, customer inspired. All right. Here is Charles Stackhouse. All right, we now welcome on Ole Miss legend Charles Stackhouse, brought to you by the Oxford Ortho Letterman's Club. Really appreciate him joining us. How are you, man? I appreciate you joining the show. Oh, man, I'm doing great. Another beautiful day. Big week for Rare Ball, man. It's awesome. It is an exciting week. We'll learn a lot about this team this week, and it kind of reminds me back in the days where, you know, you guys were playing Alabama where you knew they were good, but it was like, I think we got a shot with them. We'll start there. For you, West Memphis, Arkansas kid, how'd you end up at Ole Miss? Would you consider anywhere else? What was your recruitment like? Oh, the recruiting process was strenuous, man. Very, very strenuous. Uh, just about every college in the SEC, outside of the SEC, uh, garbage bags full of letters every day. Uh, it, it was strenuous, man. And uh, me, I always wanted to play co- close to home. And uh, 
Oxford was, was one of the senior trips that I did take, and man, I loved it. I mean, like, who could turn down the Grove after experiencing that, you know? Yeah, you got a, you got a great point there. It's always fascinating to me. So I've done a few of these interviews. I've talked actually right before this talk to Eddie Strong, who I know you know very well, some guys that played in your era. It's like right early internet days. And so like for some of you guys, I can find like your old 247scout.com profiles. I couldn't find yours, but that like leads me to my question is like recruiting back then, it's also star based now and you knew where you stood. How back then when it's kind of early stage, early days of the internet, did you know you were an elite high school athlete that had schools all over you? Like, was it rankings based? Did it just basically just become letters in the mail? How did you know how good you were? Well, uh, when you're walking into school and your head coach tells you that Joe Paterno was just there asking about me, <laughs> and that was kind of like, whoa, you know, Joe Paterno, really, all the way from Penn State? And, you know, that that was just a part of it. You know, it had the nuts, both nuts, was coming down visiting strenuously. And back then, it was the Tuberville era where uh, – it was Coach Malzone. He was uh, the one that was coming down visiting a lot. And after, like, I'll I'll try to sneak – I'll sneak in and try to catch some of them, but they'll, they'll be gone by the time I get there. And the coach will always tell me, hey, man, you had this coach here, this coach here, that coach there. And, you know, at that point in time, I was like, well, I know I'm going to college. It's just where am I going to go now, you know? So it, it was a pretty cool situation, though, when I first heard Joe Paterno there, though, because I've always been a big fan of his. That, that really, like – brought light to my situation yeah college football icon to say the least i know you mentioned you went to Ole miss it's like how could you say no after the grove did you have anywhere else you seriously considered if there was a number two in your recruitment where else do you think you could you have seen yourself going uh i would say uh it would have been between arkansas and tennessee okay so that's houston not phil fulmer is that what's going on then yeah, it was a uh, former, and yes, that's it. Okay, so for you and as a high school player, you're a fascinating case to me because you were one of the greatest running backs slash fullbacks I think I've ever seen. And like you know, as the spread offenses came into play, you started seeing less and less of your type of football player in high school. I know you're bigger, stronger than faster, everyone. That's clear. But like, what did you play in high school? Were you just a straight tailback? Did you have any fullback responsibilities at all? What were you kind of like as a high school player? It's kind of funny uh, how I ended up being a running, uh, well, fullback, because our predominant predominant formation was the wing T, and uh, the, of course the fullback gets most of the carries in the wing T. But uh, it, it was mostly they pulled me from the D line, defensive line. I was defense playing defensive end, and uh, I was on the offensive line in, in middle school. And when I came to high school, they moved me to a defensive line. And it was one uh, rainy day, I guess you would say, and uh, one of both of our tailbacks ended up messing their ankles up. So we didn't have a tailback for the upcoming week, and that upcoming week was going to be our conference championship game in high school against Forest City. So the coach was kind of like, uh, we don't have any running backs, but I know we've played you there some uh, just in practice. He said, I would like to move you to running back for a JV game this Monday to see if we could use you this Friday. So once they did that, uh, that JV game, I ended up rushing for like 300 something yards on just two plays. Uh, it was a belly left and belly right, pretty much. And they ended up moving me up to a, a varsity that week 
for Four City, where I ended up breaking another single game rushing record uh, that week in high school. It was like 339 yards at the at the time, way back then. And uh, yeah, so since then I've been fullback and running back. <laughs> what year of that was you for high school? Like, well, was that junior or senior year? Like, how young were you when you got moved to the? Uh, that was my. That was my 10th grade year. That was my uh, sophomore. Okay. So I, I imagine college-wise, that's what you're getting recruited as. There's like, You weren't getting recruited much defensive line, anything. At that point, you were young enough to where it's like, this is what I'm going to play and I'm going to dominate doing this. Well, I, at, at the time, I've always wanted to play running back, you know, or fullback. Either way, I wanted to touch the ball, you know, because I was always told, even when I was young, you know, when you're carrying the ball, you carry the hopes and dreams of the whole team in your hand. And I always wanted to be the one that everybody could rely on to help do things. So I always wanted the ball. And once they gave it to me, you know, I just made sure that I wasn't giving it back to them. This is going to be my position. And, and I actually enjoyed playing fullback more than just running, the blocking of it, you know, the protection, protecting the quarterback, protecting the running backs at times. It was a fun. It was fun, and I had already been, you know, from offensive line to defensive line, back to offensive line to defensive line. So blocking wasn't a, wasn't a problem. So you get to Ole Miss. You're here during the Tuberville age. He leaves. Uh, I just had this recently, but right before we recorded this, had the same conversation with Eddie. You're an offensive guy. I imagine it was a little bit different for you. Outsiders see the pine box comment, and they're like, "I oh, mean, are you kidding?" It's not really like social media age back then. How do you find out that Tuberville's gone and what's the reaction? Well, we uh have a team meeting. And, you know, the night before this is this is a crazy was a crazy situation before he left. We had a team meeting. Everybody's in the team meeting. He's telling everybody, hey, we're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Don't listen to the news. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to the hype. And the next day we have a team meeting being told that he's going to Auburn. So it was, it was kind of like a, a, a mixture. It was, was kind of like a mixture of a man. The guy just straight up told us a, a, a fib right in our faces, you know, each and every last one of us. So it was kind of personal. And at the same time, it was kind of like, well, Hey, you know, it's business, but at the same time, he didn't have to lie about it, you know? Yeah, that's because I was talking to Eddie about that. He was like, man, I was on defense. Like, it wasn't as big of a deal for us. But I imagine offensive guy, you know, he recruits you. I, that had to have bothered you to some degree. I mean, it ended up being kind of a trend in his career, right? I mean, there's the infamous Cincinnati, Texas Tech thing where he like, leaves a recruiting dinner. Was there a part of that for particularly for the offense where that stung where it's like, you're right. It's all business. But, man, you don't have to lie. Like, what what the hell? I, I imagine feeling blindsided at that age by a guy that recruited you had to sting a bit. Well, yeah, of course it did, man. Of course it did. But I will say this: uh, once I found out who they were bringing in, I was I was ecstatic. You know, I was like, "Oh well, you know, things happen for a reason." Because they brought in Cutcliffe, which ended up being a great era for Ole Miss football. And you know, it was it was one of those things. At first, it did leave a salty taste in my mouth. Like, man, what am I gonna? Do? I gotta get used to another coach. No, you're fine. God, continue where you're at. I was just asking about, like, you know, you mentioned it being a good thing, but kind of salty taste in your mouth initially. Yeah, it was a salty taste, you know, just having to learn a whole new offense, uh, having to deal with different coaches, having to get used to new coaches. But I will say this, those guys came in and they made the process, you know, 
just a beautiful process of transitioning. Uh, Cutcliffe came in. He brought his guys in. He brought his offensive coach in, uh, Rich Basashia. Oh, man, you got to love that guy. Uh, coached a lot in the NFL now. But they brought in some great guys that really gave us that family feel that kind of, you know, made everything sit back and simmer down and bring it back home for us. So we were able to do things. And they, they coached the bowl game that year, which is very rare now. I imagine back then it wasn't as necessarily like as earth shattering. I actually talked to Matt Luke a while back for a story about this and actually coached John Latina. And for you guys, you're getting used to an entirely new coaching staff before you play a bowl game. I remember Luke told me kind of famously that you guys like, I mean, you would literally put tape with your first, like your last name on your helmet so they could get to know you. You're kind of learning a new thing. What was that like having an entire new coaching staff prep you for one game before you kind of get to the real thing the next year? It was, it was different, man. I'll tell you, it was totally different, you know, but I'll tell you these, like I said, when they came in, they came in with, you know, Hey, we know we have a bowl game to go win. Uh, we only have a certain amount of time, so we're not going to give a full installation. We're going to give an install, but it's not going to be a full install. It'll be enough to get us by the game. And it, it was just like a strenuous week. You know, that whole week was strenuous, you know, going into that bowl game. And, and man, I'll tell you, it was almost to where, like, we was like, man, we're going to go in this thing and just play as hard as we can. We know it's going to be almost impossible to lose. But then we go through a week of practice. We're like, hey, we're actually ready to win this thing, you know. And so it, it went pretty smooth, I would say. It At first, you know, it has it has its kinks, you know, the players trying to get to know the coaches, coaches trying to get to know the players, players not responding the way the coaches want us to, and the coaches not responding the way the players want us to. It just had to be a whole – but that game really made us bond more because we our, our first game we were able to to come out you know happy about the coaches that we have you know that was the main thing. One of the great misconceptions, if you ever go back and watch football from when you played in the early two thousands and then when you were in the NFL with the Giants, as fullbacks got phased out of like modern offenses a little bit in the college and the spread, it's now coming back in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan, a couple other coaches, famously use a fullback. The athleticism and versatility that you had to have is not just blocking for Deuce McAllister. Actually, the way I mostly remember you from the highlights in my head as a five, six-year-old kid watching Ole Miss football is you catching the football out of the backfield and then ruining, ruining the day of whatever poor linebacker or secondary kid was out there in the flats. You had to do a lot of different stuff. It's not just blocking and, you know, hitting heads with whoever your blocking assignment is, you were actually probably more versatile than a lot of kids that are in offensive backfields these days. Cause how I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a kid now as a running back. It's like, Oh, he's not a pass catching option, but you had to do everything. What was that kind of like in the different roles you played? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I was kind of prepared to be an athlete, man. Uh, I went to the decathlon in high school, you know, I was a fullback, but yeah, I did go to the decathlon. I, you know, I ran track, I played basketball, actually got a state championship from basketball in high school. Uh, man, I was always able to, you know, be athletic. God blessed me with those talents to be to be athletic and able to move around. And like I said, uh, being in the wing tee alone, you know, it's a different offense. You know, being in high school, you know, 
you have your eye formation where you just know you're going to run the ball, run, run, pound, pound. But wing T, you don't know if you're going to run it. You don't know if you're going to throw it. Don't know if you're going to option it. So I had to pretty much be a versatile back in high school to not just stick to blocking, not just stick to running, but also have to catch the ball, you know, put being put out in the spread formation and things like that. So I've always, you know, been able to catch. And it goes all the way back to uh, – overhead football right uh when we were back in the streets I, I grew up on two streets man and all we did was throw and catch the ball all day every day after school you know after school we're out hitting the power lines sparking electricity trying to throw the ball to each other far you know and, and it was just you know that's where it all started at and 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 I had a great coach that taught me you know the uh the value of not just having one asset and you know working on multiple different assets even if you have to work on those things after practice i i did have a coach that taught me those things so it kind of helped and uh like i said just the the you don't see it anymore in the, in the nfl and and i could tell you when i saw it like diminishing in the nfl i could also see that the running backs were getting hurt a lot yeah you know, that, like, i've actually never thought about that that's a fascinating way to put it like they're getting hurt a lot more without that lead blocker and a secondary option in the backfield yeah, most definitely. I mean, even the year uh, when, you know, I left the New York Giants and went to the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, Tiki, you know, he didn't have the same fullback and, you know, he almost broke a fumbling record that year. You know, it was, it's just totally different when you're not, you know, you don't have the same, you know, kind of person in front of you that you're used to. And for the NFL to try to take that out, I think they're limiting their offense. And they're limiting their, especially their short range offense, right? You take the fullback out there, they're mostly the short down guys. You know, you put them in when it's third and one, either they lead the hole or come out on the fullback belly or, you know, one of my specialties, a slide pass where I act like I'm going to block the defensive end and slide into the flats and get that easy first down and possibly touchdowns in cases. And uh, it, it's, you don't see it anymore, much of it anymore. And I think it'll probably eventually come back. Like I mentioned, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers offense, you know, use check and some of the few fullbacks that are still in the league. And what's fascinating to me is that it hasn't come back quicker because I remember watching you out in the flats, like catching passes like that. Football is all about putting guys in position to leverage and to where they're, you know, at their advantage and they catch the defense on their heels. When you catch a, a pass out in the flat like that, I imagine there are very few times where there was someone just to meet you and you get stuck because you're already going downhill. Whoever has the poor assignment to catch you in the flats is not coming at you. They're most of the time they're flat footed or backpedaling. Like that's probably one of the most advantageous positions you were ever at on a football field is I've now caught the ball. I've got a little bit of space and I'm about to catch a guy where he's not really in position to stop me at all. Like that's a very forceful position to be. And it led to a lot of success for you. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, <laughs> the guys on the other end of that were usually never linebackers, right? Yeah, the linebackers are always sucked, they're always sucked in by the run and usually have a cornerback or a safety trying to come down hard and field. And, you know, you got a 250-pound fullback coming down the field full head of steam. There's not many cornerbacks that's going to want to take on that challenge. And, and there's a few safeties, but they're not going to be too successful to try to, you know, go head on with the – 250-pound fullback with a full head of steam. Were you ever at Ole Miss? I know you had a great one, Deuce McAllister, alongside you, and there are a lot of famous highlights and plays of you kind of being his foreman, but 
was it ever like a discussion? I know you lined up as a running back sometimes, but like, when did you feel like you settle in? It was like, okay, I am kind of a fullback in this offense and I eventually might have a professional career doing this. When did that reality kind of set in? Well, uh, from the whole point when I first came to Ole Miss, you know, I knew that they had a great running back in Deuce McAllister. And that's what was one of the reasons why I did go there because being a fullback, who wouldn't want to block for, you know, 6-2 running back running, you know, a four, almost a four, four, low four, four in the 40. Who wouldn't want to block for that, you know? And that was one of the reasons why I did go there. So I, I came there with my mind set on blocking knowing the uh, style of offense that they ran and the running backs that they had. I had my mindset on blocking, but like I said, I've always been a player that was willing to help the team wherever they needed help, even if it meant step on the defensive side sometimes, you know, which was something they tried at Ole Miss and they wanted to do at Ole Miss, but it was just like too many plays on offense and, and too many plays on defense would tire out your full fullback, you know. So it, it happened for a short time, but they changed it back quick. I was watching some highlights of you and it was very striking to me to, in terms of it just being a different era of football is we talk about that flat pass or maybe you're running or blocking or whatever it is. But when you catch someone at the point of the tack, you were just bowling through people. And I remember there was actually a highlight I watched to you against Vanderbilt where you catch one on like the right side flats, you bowl over two guys in the end zone, the level of violence of a hit like that would like make people watching football on TV now go, Oh wow. Like you don't see a ton of that anymore, but that was like a regularity for you. Like watching football now, how much is the game change? And I get it. They're trying to limit head injuries and there's a lot of good in what they're trying to do. But the, the way you created conflict in football doesn't really happen as often anymore. How different is it watching football for you now? Well, it, it's it is different. It's you can see the difference. You know, the guys they're all hitting, you know, with their shoulders. There's no uh real like opportunities for big hits because guys are just scared. You know, they're scared if they hit them too big, they may say he led with his helmet, they led with his crown because it was a big hit, they didn't get to see it. So I think uh it's definitely not as uh physical as it used to be back when I was playing, you know, uh linebackers and fullback. If if you're gonna see a linebacker against a fullback, they're gonna go head up. It ain't gonna be no dodging, no sneaking around trying to get the sack. No, they're gonna go head up and make the best man win. And now, you know, they brought a lot of finesse to the game to where, you know, they have these fast linebackers now and you know, they 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 don't like contact as much. You nailed it with that one. Now that's what I was going to ask next is like, it, it it changed the way they look at positions, both offensively and defensively. Like you probably went up against some big ass linebackers and that's not really like, you know, the Brian Erlackers or there's some better examples out there. That's not really the profile of a linebacker anymore. Who are some of the biggest and toughest linebackers you had to block or just front seven guys in general? Cause I feel like the profile of that oh, has changed too. man, biggest, biggest linebacker. I definitely had to Brock was, that guy from the Eagles, I think it was, was it, uh, not Arrington, uh, Kirkland. Yeah. He's like yeah. 320 pounds, something like that. Oh man. What a headache, man. That was a, that was, that was a game to where I was sore for the next two weeks after that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like running into a brick wall, literal, literally running into a brick wall the whole game. I had actually had that pulled up earlier. It was LeVon Kirkland, and at the end of his career, he was a 280-pound linebacker. You do not see those very much anymore. <laughs> That's heavy for a defensive end sometimes. Actually, a lot three, of the time. I think he was like 320 
when I played against him. Oh my God, that is crazy. <laughs> so you guys had a lot of success in the time you were at Ole Miss. You mentioned the transition. Cutcliffe was a great offensive coach. Y'all had a great, a lot of great times. You're you're playing alongside Deuce McAllister. What is that like throughout the course of a game where I imagine in some aspects, you don't see this now, you and Deuce are a tag team in the run game. What is that kind of being like partner in crime where you're just punishing opponents on the ground with a guy behind you sometimes? Well, it's like, you know, when we were out there, it was like, you know, chess. It was like chess, you know, bait them in uh, to think you're going that way. And next thing you know, you're thinking power. And we're outside with Deuce McAllister, full head of steam, running up the sidelines. And nobody's going to catch him. It was it was always like either we're going to go at him or we're going to finesse him like we're going at him and go outside or we're going to finesse him like we're going at him and I'm going to slip out in the flat. So it was like a cat and mouse game with the defense the whole game. And, you know, thank God we had great offensive and defensive coordinators that was able to coordinate that. You know, the offensive coordinator was able to coordinate that. But I think they did a good, a, a great job mixing it up. And even with, with Joe Gunn, you know, when, when deuces, you know, take a long one and Joe Gunn comes in and he breaks for 20, you know, it's just – so much we had uh I think when I was there, if I'm not mistaken, we probably had one of the best uh backfields in the nation with uh Romero, Deuce, towards Sanford, uh Joe Gunn. I mean, geez, uh, either one of uh our running backs could have played running back or fullback, you know. You played in the NFL, you saw some ridiculously talented running backs. Have you ever seen someone go over the top on the goal line like Deuce could? Never. Still to this day, never have seen anyone that can go over the top like Deuce. Where does that come from? I mean, I know it's athleticism. He can jump, but there has to be just a moment of where you're almost like, holy shit, like he just jumped over a couple of 6'6 six, six linemen. Like, what was that like seeing for the first time? <laughs> you know, uh, it had to be timing on his behalf, you know, because if you jump too late, you know, you're going to jump into the line. And if you jump too soon, you're not going to make it over the pass. So I think he had the timing down in his head, like, he either he had to do the high jump or something when he was in high school. He had to do something like that because his timing was like perfect every time. Just from the moment he left his foot to the moment he went into the end zone, it was perfect. We'll get back to Charles in just a second. But before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. The podcast is brought to you by Twisted T. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol. Watch out out there. Dangerous. That's my words, not theirs. And no carbonation. Delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting with friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable memories. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Hopefully, you took advantage of Skybox Sports Picks 4 and 2 week in college football last weekend. All you have to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com, sign up for a picks package that fits your price range, and boom, you're more equipped to profit. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try college football, NFL. I'd recommend going with the year long all access pass. 
and you're more equipped to profit than you are five minutes before signing up for Spy Skybox. It's a small investment to ensure that you do not lose money this football season. If you're into wagering, it's the only place to profit. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, back to Charles. As a fullback, what's it like playing a seven-overtime game against Arkansas? Oh, man, still, I, I tell everybody about this all the time. The longest game I ever played, uh, the most tired I've ever been in a football game, uh, the most, uh, the adrenaline in that game was nothing, was I've, nothing has compared to it, you know, and the time I played football and the years I played football, nothing compared to it, just exhilarating, oh, just overtime after overtime after overtime, and the sixth overtime, when I scored a two-point conversion, I'm like, yes, hopefully it's finally over. And they come back and score again. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And it just kept going on and on. And, like, thinking that game was something crazy, like three hours maybe or, or even longer maybe. I, don't oh, I know. think it went like four and a half, almost five. I was like eight years oh, old my. watching that game in the stands. If, I want to, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say that game started around 6 o'clock and I think maybe ended around 10.30, 10.45. We're talking four and a half hours here. Yeah, I went straight home and got in the bed, man. I couldn't do it. I, I literally couldn't do anything. I went straight home and got in the bed. Yeah, I mean that is almost unthinkable now, and they, the way they've designed the overtimes is crazy to where it's basically not possible anymore. You guys, so you leave Ole Miss, you are one of the many stories, but also one of the very few at the at the same time. You become an undrafted guy who makes an NFL roster and has an NFL career. When you go to the Saints, when you go, excuse me, the Saints, they, I'm thinking of just you go to the Giants as an undrafted guy, and you're in camp. At that point, when you enter camp, like how realistic of a shot did you think you had to make in the roster, and what was that like proving yourself enough to make a 53 man roster in the NFL as an undrafted free agent? Well, I'll tell you this: after I wasn't drafted, there was no way nobody was going to tell me I wasn't going to be the fullback for the Giants when they brought me in because, like, the way my mind was set. You know, I had a chip on my shoulder. I had, you know, just seeing a guy that, you know, I hate to say it like this, but knowing that a guy got drafted that wasn't quite, you know, stats-wise or or everything that was going on-wise didn't compare. And I just had a chip on my shoulders. And, and the Giants, they they pretty much knew what was going on because I'll tell you this, I don't know many many people probably don't know this, but – uh the Cowboys called me before the Giants did in the early in the third quarter. And uh, the Cowboy was like, uh, we're planning on going with a fullback. Our next pick, uh, it's either going to be you or Jabari. So just stay, uh, stay close to the phone. And then the Giants call right after that. They're like, have you talked to anyone? I was like, yeah, the Cowboys call. And they was like, yeah, uh, we plan on picking you our next pick, which was the fourth round. He was like, we plan on picking you our next pick. If we don't pick you, that means that we're going to have to go defensive and they're going for the rest of the draft. And that's what they ended up doing. They ended up picking uh, Quincy Monk and going defensive for the rest of the draft. But uh, they brought me in, like, as soon as the draft was uh, actually, like, minutes before the draft was over, they was like, we want you to know that we're going to bring you in. Uh, we have faith in you. Uh, just understand the job is yours for the taking. Uh, Camilla's not coming back. Uh, so when you come into camp, we just want you to know that uh, you got to work hard. We're going to bring in somebody to compete with you, but it's your job to lose. That's so, actually a very fascinating story that, that you had a teams calling you in the third and fourth round, and then all of a sudden you end up as an undrafted guy. What I was actually going to ask you next is, 
So my college roommate is an uh, he's an agent now, and he represents a couple NFL guys. And he's when he was getting his start, he was trying to find late round guys that he could get value on. You know, he doesn't really have the name notoriety yet, but like guys that can actually make NFL rosters. And one of the things I was going to ask is when you get into those late rounds, in some ways, you as much as you'd love to get drafted and hear your name called as an undrafted free agent. Don't you kind of honestly have a little bit more flexibility to sign with a team that fits you better? You have a better chance right. of making a 53-man roster instead of you just getting pinned to a team because you were drafted. As bittersweet as it may have been not getting drafted, I imagine as a guy that you knew could play in the league, having a couple options to figure out where do I fit best had to have helped a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, like, after the Giants called and I had already accepted them and they was going to get everything set up for me to fly out, it's like the phone just started ringing. Ring, 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 ring. I was just, I'm already going to the Giants, sorry. You know? <laughs> and it, it, But the thing is, uh, with the Giants, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't get drafted, but they still gave me a signing bonus, a nice signing bonus. Uh, and I guess it was due to the good agents that I had. Uh, I still got a signing bonus and I ended up on a, you know, as a starter on the roster. And I just want, always wanted that opportunity. You know, I feel like in, in anything in life, if just given that opportunity to show what you can do and, 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 you know, go out and do it. it it's that's all you need sometimes. And, and that's all I needed at the time was that opportunity. And I imagine some of that was positionally, right? Like fullbacks are not nearly out of the NFL by that point, but it's not like, hey, teams are going to take five receivers in a draft or, you know, 15 receivers are going to go in the first four rounds. Like fullback, I imagine, is a little seldom to where you probably didn't think like, yeah, I can't play in the NFL. It's like, no, there's just few and far between the guys are going to spend picks on fullbacks. Like in some ways now it reminds me of like kickers and stuff to where it's like, oh, you might take two or three a draft. You probably had right. to know some of it was that, right? Just the fact that your position doesn't get picked as often. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and you know, to to even be – to even get a call in the third round saying that, hey, if we, if we stick – if we pick another offensive guy, you're going to be our offensive guy, that was enough for me. That's a confidence know? boost for sure, right? Right. That that was enough for me to say, hey, man, even though I didn't get drafted, don't worry, I'm going to be in the NFL because I'm going to work my tail off to get there and I'm going to do what I got to do once I get in the camp. And, and that's exactly what happened. And then, like you mentioned, the signing bonus aspect of it, that's how you decipher who are just training camp bodies and who are guys that like, hey, we didn't spend a draft pick on, but we think this guy can actually make the roster. Them giving you a real signing bonus and kind of telling you that, that had to give you confidence, too, of like, hey, I'm not just a guy that's going to fill out the 90-man roster until they start cutting this shit down. Like, I actually have a chance to make this roster and be a part of this organization. Right, that's true, because they they maxed it out. I maxed out what they could give me as a signing bonus without being drafted. You know, they maxed it out. That, that was just enough there to show me that, like, hey, I got to go out and bust my ass for this team because they really believe in me, you know, because they, they didn't have to do that, you know. But, of course, they probably – figured that once they called everybody else was going to be calling uh and you know like you said that position that year man it wasn't many fullbacks coming out that year that was just like you know big name you know big fullbacks that were doing things in college it was just like me and jamar martin that's the only two i can remember you know and you know so it was it was kind of like you know it was going to be one of us is going to one. Of, we always knew like one of us was going to be drafted. It was going to be me or you. We knew that. And we just didn't know who we didn't know where we didn't know how. West Memphis, Arkansas kid, you make the roster when you run out for your first real NFL game that counts. What are the emotions like? Are you nervous? Are you like, holy cow, like I'm actually here. I've made this. What was that moment like? And did you have time to reflect it all? Man, really? Uh <laughs> 
I don't think I had time to reflect because I was so focused because like, you know, that first game is in preseason, right? And you, you got to show the team what you can do. So I had to kind of like step into that mode to where like I had to get focused. I had to, you know, really show them that I'm I'm, I'm here to be a, you know, not just to be a spot on the roster. I'm here to help this team win some games and, you know, big special team presence. That was, that was my big thing. Uh, thanks to Richard Basashia, the coach Basashia there at Ole Miss when I came there, you know, he emphasized how uh, important it was to play on special teams. If you're a fullback and want to play in the NFL, he emphasized that the whole time I was there and lo and behold, it came out to be true. Like me being on the NFL roster came down to me being able to play on just about every special team that's out there and excel in it. And that's how you can make a career. Brandon Bolden, another Ole Miss alum, is a great example of that, right? He's a part of the Patriots offense for a while, then kind of spends five, six years as a special team guy. And you look up, the kid's got a decade and a half long career, basically, because he's willing to do whatever. Was there a moment when you got to the NFL where it was like, man, I know the SEC is pretty awesome, but wow, this is different. Was there a speed adjustment? Oh, yeah. Was there a moment where you're like, whoa, this is this is a little different here? Oh, man, day one. You know, I was a fullback, so that means that I had to run with the running backs and the tight ends, and, you know, I, I, we had, we all had to run. So our times was based on the running back time, so we had to be fast enough to make those times. And I'll tell you, man, once we got there, and it's like, how in the heck am I going to keep up with Tiki Barber? You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's just, you know, it was one of those things, that, and you could see the speed difference. You know, the SEC's fast. Thank God I played in the SEC because if I would have played in any other conference that wasn't moving as fast, I would not. I don't. I can't see myself being prepared for the speed that was that's in the NFL, man. Even the linebacker, even the linemen are fast, and it's just like everything's moving like one step, and you're gonna get blindsided and knocked off your feet you know because and it could be your own player running you know so you got to really be you know what it like uh you know it reminds me of like tron when he's riding on that bike you know he, yeah he, he can't make yeah. too many certain moves but you make a certain move and you run right into a wall you know and and, and that's just how it is man it's it's really like a uh everything moves in front of your face and it's almost like if you don't have instinct you're going to get ran over I can tell just from the short time that we've talked on this podcast and kind of getting to know you a little bit, you, you seem like you're very aware of your surroundings. You kind of know where you stand at all times. And at, at times, transitioning out of football, that's something you've done from the time you're 12, 13 years old, and then everybody's career ends, right? You don't know when it's going to come. It could come at you know, 22, 32, I guess with Tom Brady, 42 or 52. But it's all going to come at some point. What was the transition out of football like for you? Because – one of the things that uh, Denson Hollis, Javon Patterson, they do a great job, former athletes, bringing them back, getting them involved. They mentioned you were big into blockchain and cryptocurrency. And you, I imagine in the time that that was coming up, you had to have a pretty astute awareness of kind of where the world's going and all of that. What was the transition like into business and post-football, if that makes any sense? Yeah, of course, man. It was, uh, at first, I, I must admit, at first it was, uh, it, it, I, it, you know, I guess the PTSD was kicking in because my, my situation was a little different because I tore my labrum in my right shoulder. And I feel like if I wouldn't have torn my labrum, I had so many more years left that I left just left out on the table. And I think that uh, the main thing was, you know, the transition, what helped me in the transition was the first thing is realizing that it's over, you know, that realizing that, hey, uh, I'm not going to go to another NFL team. Once I realized that I, I had to eventually well 
quickly transition over into the real what we call the real world to where you have to go out and 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 work for a living instead of you know just going out and well i still go out and expose my talents for a living but and still at the same time you know you have to you know it's finding out what your different talents are other than football Right, right. And 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 that wasn't exciting. Like at first it was stressful. Like I said, at first the PTSD was kicking in like, man, what am I going to do? I can't go play football. It's what I've done all my life. And then I sit down like, man, I'm so much good at so many other things, you know, that, you know, that I could be a professional in many other things. I was always told you can do whatever you put your mind to. It's, you just have to put your mind to doing it. And I, I think that uh, that was one of the things that helped me as well. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be playing football anymore, but I knew I was going to have to live out my times. I mean, yeah, you get good money from football, but at the same time, you know, you want to be able to sustain for generation after generation, right? And I, I think that was the main thing, uh, like really settling down. At first, I, you know, I said I wanted to open a car dealership. And so I went and worked into the car business, you know, excelled in that very, very fast. I was making crazy money selling cars. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, because you're smart and you can talk to people. Right? This is the greatest thing ever. Right. I got this down. <laughs> yeah, I, I was making crazy money doing that. But it still seemed like, you know, it was just like coming home at 10 o'clock. It was just like, nah, that's not my type of life. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I started thinking of ways where I could uh, create my own businesses and, and, and things like that. And that's when I got introduced to this guy named Tony Manning from Finland. And he's a, a software engineer. And he uh, like blockchain, he's been in the blockchain for a long time. And he kind of like was showing me the ropes of the blockchain and, you know, how it works. I already knew about it because I knew about Bitcoin from, you know, one of my family members who was talking about Bitcoin is going to be the future of cryptocurrency. I mean, the future of currency and all of this. And I just didn't understand it then. If I would have took into account then, I'd be <laughs> probably uh, uh a hundred million dollars better than where I am now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it all, it all, you know, the transitioning over, man. It was uh, at first it was tough, but it, it smoothly came over once I realized that hey, I'm not going to be playing football anymore, and I got to live, right? So that that kind of like uh, pushed me over into the real world of things. And it's it's nowhere near close to the same thing. But I actually used to do like sports writing full time, and then I got out and started a marketing job and i never forget the first day i walked in that job i was like man i don't know what the hell i'm doing like how in the world did i even get this position and like as you describe it when you get over that like ptsd period and you figure out like hey like i knew all like maybe i thought i was only good at this one thing but i have all these other skills that translate and all of them are similar it's actually very gratifying we're like okay like I can do this. I'm using the same skill set in different ways that I've I've done in, you know, a past life or whatever. That had to be very gratifying for you. And so when you kind of find your footing and you transition to the business world with blockchain or whatever it is, I guess I'll ask it this way. Part of it is just detecting BS when you see it. When someone explained to you Bitcoin, the blockchain and getting involved with that for the first time, what was that like? And you kind of deciphering like, okay, this is a real thing, not just some fad or some BS thing. Like, what was that like deciphering that and being like, okay, I'm in on this. I can figure this out. Well, when I when I got introduced to it, I, I was totally lost. I was totally lost. I didn't understand. Like, it, I guess it wasn't for me to understand the formulas of how the blockchain work. Yeah. But it, it all started to make sense once you see how, like, the algorithm of the block, I would say yeah. the algorithm of the blockchain and, like, how, how it's designed for uh, people to change paper dollar into digital dollar and use it for the same things you use paper dollar for 
And uh, that part was was easily understood. The hard part came into when, uh, all right, now you know about blockchain. Now let's talk about wallets. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about seed phrases. Let's talk about uh, setting up a wallet, and you know, and let's talk about trading these different currencies. And that that's when everything kind of got. It took me a long time. I'm not gonna lie. It, like I wasn't able to just jump into cryptocurrency and say, hey, I'm gonna jump in and make a lot of money. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to learn something uh, that was going to advance the future and hopefully come up with something, which I'm working on very strenuously, to advance sports with blockchain. And I think that uh, the blockchain is going to be special. It's going to be special. It's going to be different once, you know, all of the the negative and all of the bad stuff is washed out of it. And, of course, when the government does what they do uh, and clean it up. <laughs> It's due for a cleanup, man. It's due for a cleanup because a lot of people lose money on scams and, and, and different things like that. So it's due for a cleanup. But once they do that, man, I think that uh, where we are now <laughs> is we'll be eons past that uh, in another two, three years, believe it or not. So it's like uh, the people who get in now are the early runners and the people who like take, like they say, people that take chances. Those are the people that understand that, uh, Visa is going to be using blockchain that that understand that banks are eventually going to be using, you know, you already see the ETFs coming. So it, it's it's definitely going to be a part of our future. It's inevitable. We'll finish up, Charles, in just a second. But I want to take a real quick break to remind you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and also discounted meats. Right now, the Rippy Right special is three, six ounce bacon wrap fillets. For 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation. You're getting there for 20 bucks. Show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with the Rippy Right special. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meat. It's football season. You're going to want to throw something on the grill and watch all the games. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Charles. And at some point uh, off of this podcast, because it would take four or five hours, I might have to have you explain to me the blockchain and Bitcoin and all of the crypto like I'm four years old so I can finally get on that and understand it. I have not right. mastered that. I did go from sports writing to marketing. So we're going to check that box. Maybe at a certain point I could figure out the blockchain and the Bitcoin aspect of it. But that was going to be my next and one of my last questions is. Tell us about the company you're involved in now and trying to get sports into the blockchain, because as someone who is not into it and sees it from afar, you're now starting to see athletes when they sign contracts request to get paid in Bitcoin or some sort of blockchain currency. And that's how you know it's real and it has real staying power. Tell me about the company you're involved with and what you guys are trying to do. 
Well, the company I'm involved with is called FinTech Global Services. And what they do is they pretty much uh, are the concierges of the blockchain. Uh, anything, if you're a, 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 what we call a Web2 company, like a, a regular company uh, like uh, IBM or uh, Amazon, and you wanted smart contracts to where you say you wanted smart contracts to where you wanted your customers to be able to use an NFT or your customers to be able to use an Amazon token and, you know, be able to purchase your items, then my company will be the company that creates that token. You know, right. we have the, the developers who code it out, who code the code out for the comp for the uh, currency that you're going to name. The currency is going to be the Amazon token. It's going to be 5% taxes. And, and that's kind of what my company do. Or they put up a, say a marketplace to where you could uh, exchange your token, or they would set up you an exchange to where you can exchange your token for fiat or, you know, anything dealing with the blockchain is uh, what, what they do. And I don't do it. I'm, I ju I'm just a CMO. Like you say, you know, the marketing part, I'm just a CMO, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I like we came together on this. Like I've learned so much about it that it's like, I have to know about it in order to be able to go out and market it. Right. And the biggest thing about the transition of sports with this is we're working with a company. We're creating this token for this company called Fancentric, and we've already created a marketplace for them. And what Fancentric is doing is they're going out and buying real live sports teams. Like, uh, keep our fingers crossed. They get the CFL team. They get the CFL team. They're going to move. They're going to uh, definitely move that team over to the blockchain through a fan token. And what that fan token is going to do is what they're going to get the team and they're going to actually build a sports and entertainment district with every team they purchase. And inside of that sports and entertainment district, you'll be able to use your fan tokens for discounts on rooms or, or whatever. It's it's man, we'll be here, literally be here all night talking about what I'm into with that. But to make a long story short, uh, it's basically to uh, give the fans a vote. And give the like where fans meet player, player meets team, team meets fans, where the fans actually got to vote on the team colors that the teams are going to do. And they're going to do that through NFT, non-fungible tokens, which they will set up a DAO structure where if you own an NFT, that gives you one reserve vote for that team. And also other things like even with team ownership, the team ownership is going to come through way of the blockchain because the way the team is going to be purchased is uh like, you know, the the minority owners of the team the way they're going to buy into the team is through nfts like three hundred thousand nfts to up to a million dollar nfts and they buy their ways in which is already being set up man so i think we're looking at a different wave already with sports and nfts and, and the way we have it set up to where we're going to be bringing in guys like nfl players who are going to be able to market their name through the blockchain like they're going to be able to set up a room have you know, their fans come in and have an opportunity to win a one-on-one -on -one with them or win a jersey or, or different things that they're going to be doing. So it's kind of like going to be a way of uh, merging football or, and not just football, it's any sports because they're looking at NHL teams. They're looking at uh, WNBA teams. They're looking at a uh, uh, actual, actual soccer league, a hockey league, rugby. And, you know, it's, it's just bringing the sports onto the blockchain and giving the fans more of a vote on what's happening with the team. And it's fascinating. It's on the cutting edge of the future. And like to wrap up here, one of the things I've realized that like kind of the core of really, whether it's like sports life or business and you being as shrewd as you are and kind of understanding where the world's going 
and opportunities that you can hand yourself that it's understanding people and understanding how people communicate and understanding what's real and what's not. And you also do a lot of mentoring as we talked about right before we started this podcast, you mentor a lot of young folks, you get them involved in sports. Like what, what gives you satisfaction in that? And kind of, have you always had a knack for talking to people and mentoring people? Well, it, it all boils down to, uh, do you want to uh, be the problem or be the change of the problem? And what I see is going on in our in our youth today, especially, you know, the minorities, they're being sucked into gangs. Uh, they're uh, they're just their their talents are just being stripped away from them from the streets because it's like it's like the streets is blocking, giving them a mental block on the talent that they have outside of the street life. And what I try to do is I try to connect with them. I try to let them know that, hey, I've been through that situation before to where I had to make a decision that, hey, I'm going to go to college. I'm not going to sit back because, you know, where even where I grew up from now, I mean, it's 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 violent. There is a lot of violence there. And, you know, I try to tell these guys that, like, you guys are the future. You know, for me, the only way to change the future is to start with the youth, because the youth is going to eventually be our future. Right. And uh, so that's 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 why I put so much into it. I really want to see these guys change. And and I know I can't do it alone. I know I can't do it with the help of a lot of others. But what I can do is one by one change the ones who are willing to change and the ones that want to change, you know, and that's what I try to do. I try to find a situation, touch them in their hearts, let them know that there's more to life than what's going on now. And in order to be, you have two roads, a successful road and a doomed road. You don't want to be on the doomed road because when you're on the doomed road, nothing never goes your way. You never have money. You never have a, a fun life. You're behind bars most of your life and you're just doing things that's not productive for your life. So eventually your life is going to pay its toll on you. And and I try to get them to, to realize that early. And some of them get it, some of them don't. But I'm just going to keep fighting and keep trying to get them to understand it's more to life than even just football. You know, it's, it's, it's more to life than, than just walking around and saying, hey, I'm me. What are they going to remember you the most about you when you're gone is, is what you really want to live your life on. And I try to get them, I try to get them to understand that a lot of them get it the ones who want to, but the ones who don't, they always end up coming back and saying, man, I should listen, you know, and, and, and I still, I don't push them away. I still try to talk to them. I try to help them wherever I can. Incredibly well said. That was absolutely brilliant. And the last thing I have for you is as you come back to, you know, to Ole Miss, and I know you're very involved and you keep up with the Ole Miss program and it's an exciting time to be an Ole Miss fan. What's it like for you coming back to games? I imagine that has to be a little bit of nostalgia where it's like, I know it looked a little different here back then, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> the crowds are full. Ole Miss is a relevant program. What's it like for you as an Ole Miss football alum in this current age? Man, I'll tell you, it's uh, like you never left, man. It's, it's, it's really like you never left. Because when you go back there, you still have the same bars, like the library and Dessler oh, yeah. there. Of course, my man Dessler, he's always <laughs> on hand when I'm in town for the game. Hey, Dessler, what's up? I'm coming to see you, man. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of different different places around there uh, that's, that's still there from when I was there. And, man, it's just a, the tradition is unmatched in college football history alone. The tradition is unmatched to walk through the Grove. That's when I go there, I like to see those guys walk through there, you know, like, like the remember the one time I did used to walk through the Grove and this is what it's like on the other side now and the games, you know, watching the guys play. And, and I know that I think, was it last year? I think I got to lead the, you know, defense out on a high oh, yeah. toddy. I think, 
it's the last game of the season or something like that. You know, all of those things, like the thrill of football is is there at Ole Miss, man. You're not going to – it don't matter who we're playing. It doesn't matter who we're playing. It doesn't matter the weather. It's going to be a fun time in Oxford when it's a football game. And it's, it's the greatest thing ever from Denton Hollis and – Javon Patterson bringing guys from your era and beyond back. It's it for people like me, I'm almost 30 years old, but like that era of like bringing us back and seeing them back and still involved in the program is incredibly gratifying because you guys are the first memories I have of actual Ole Miss football players. And I grew up going to the games and it's, it's just a ton of fun. And I really appreciate you doing this, man. I promise I did not mean to keep you this long, but we kind of just kept rolling. And I looked up and I was like, damn, we're almost an hour into this. Like, this was incredible. I really appreciate the time. We'll have to do this again sometime. And, um, man, I hope you enjoyed every time you're back in Oxford. Yeah, no doubt, man. Anytime. And you said you hit it on the head, man. Denson and, and Javon, those guys, man, they are doing a phenomenal job of linking the old, you know, alum back to the new players and, and everything that's, you know, staying close to the situations at Ole Miss, man. I've enjoyed it these last few years, uh, just going back to the games and, you know, seeing all of the old players and talking to all of the old people that was there when you went to school and, and just seeing the rebels out there in uniform instead of being in uniform is 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 a different feeling, man. And I enjoy every single second of it. Every second of it that I'm watching them on TV, whether it's in Oxford on TV or out of town, man, I enjoy every second of it. Awesome stuff, man. I appreciate you joining us. We'll do this again sometime. Anytime, man. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Really appreciate Charles' time. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was great chatting with him. And uh, we love having the former players on. Shout out to Denson Hollis. Shout out to Javon Patterson. Thank you for continuing to uh, help make this happen. I've really enjoyed it. We'll be back with more uh, just right after this, actually. we got a little Alabama-centric pod, a little two-for-pod Friday. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back shortly. <laughs> 